This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. Hello and welcome to episode 111 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, looking cool, calm and collected on this hot, summery <laughs> September day, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. <laughs> well, and over in Cambridgeshire, beaming away on this, shall I say, sweltering, sweaty, but not smelly day, <laughs> we have the very fragrant Thodis Maria Sophia Fredrickson, who is looking absolutely charming in her what well, dare I say it, your traditional sort of stripes in those wonderful oranges, pinks, yellows, creams. Whoa! Isn't there Big like elbow. a sweet, isn't there like a novelty sweet that you used to get, like an orange? Yes, called humbug. Far, <laughs> <laughs> far humbug. At back, I keep saying this, long overdue, it was episode 69, I think, that we last caught up with Stephen Paul Edney of uh, No Name Nursery. So much has gone on between then and now, Steve. I'm excited for this episode because anyone who's watching the video will see he's currently got a backdrop of bamboo and we are going to attempt a little look around your garden at home. The land is being saved for a future podcast because the garden at home is looking so spectacular. But uh, we'll get onto all of that in a moment. Just a quick catch up since we last talked to you because you've been doing Chelsea and getting out to all kinds of events. So quick, quick kind of fill us in on what you've been up to. Well, it's lovely to be back with you. I can't believe it's taken so long. And <laughs> you know, I didn't realise it was episode 69. That's because we are, we call our home Sweet Briar. But it's actually 69 on Checker Lane in Ash. Uh, and it's um, we call it Sweetbriar because the very first plant that me and Lou ever grew together from seed was the Sweetbriar Rose. So we named our home Sweetbriar. <laughs> That's lovely. I know, it's disgusting, isn't it? Oh, makes you feel sick a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, we're, yeah, I'm a hopeless romantic and, and, and Lou's the realist. And uh, whereas I'm the one with my head in the sky all the time. But wow, have we had, I mean, I have to say, it's been an incredible and busy year. I probably bit off more than I could chew because last year, worried about um, just, you know, people forgetting, you know, who we are and where we are and what we're up to uh, since the demise of salutation. I, I said yes to everything. Um, and now as we approach the end of the summer, um, I'm really actually for the first time in years looking forward to the winter and I didn't really think I'd say that <laughs> what gardener looks forward to the winter uh, I guess if you're really busy uh, and Chelsea was Chelsea was amazing to to collaborate with the plant fairs roadshow uh, or to be given these little spaces and I should say that our displays were only four square meters I would have a large display any day because everything had to be perfect um, in and it, as as you'd imagine, we tried to squeeze more and more and more in, but make it all look good and show off each plant. We managed to get 42 different species and cultivars of plant in four square metres in a display. I thought we did quite well on that, really. Mm -hmm. And we got our, uh, our first medal as a nursery, which was a silver gilt, which we're very, uh, very pleased with for, for such a small display. 
Well, also because very, very few first-time exhibitors get gold. So it's pretty yeah, much as true. good as you were going to get, really. Well, you know, I mean, obviously, um, the two things about going to Chelsea that you should always know, and, and, and one is if you're not chasing a gold, you're lying to yourself um, because everyone should be trying to do their very best. But the flip side of that is you should be trying to do your very best for yourself and satisfy yourself. And if you can do that, it really doesn't matter what the medal is. You feel really happy, you know, and, and content that you've done the best you could. And also, really, it's the public who are the ultimate judges of what yeah, you do. I was just going to say that, Steve. I don't know that I'd necessarily agree with. I mean, I know the RHS um, and they have a judging criteria and everything else. And I think you're absolutely right. When in, in a funny sort of way, the exhibitor should ignore that and please themselves because the public will tell you whether you whether you're you've done a nice job or not. It doesn't have to be a load of old fuddy duddies, dare I say it. That, I mean, you know, <laughs> take the day when they were looking at Cleve West Garden and he had a parsnip in it and they didn't know what it was because he'd taken the parsnip from the vegetable garden, put it in the flower garden, and everyone went, <laughs> I think it's an umbella, you know. Um, <laughs> well, full marks for that one, eh? Love it. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're quite right. The public, and, and they're not afraid to tell you. Um, I can remember somebody, when we did the seed head display in 2019, um, somebody literally walked past the display and the hand went up in the air as if to stop me from saying a word and just said, I'm not feeling the dead stuff and just kept walking. <laughs> and, and so people aren't afraid. <laughs> no. but on the other hand, when you look, when you think about it, you know everybody's entitled to their opinion. None of us should all like the same things, but I do find it offensive. Um, certain people have this kind of snobbishness about. It. When I told the two ladies I was doing a yellow and blue border here, they just said, "Oh, remind me to look the other way, not yellow." <sighs> I just thought, "Who the hell do you think you are?" Because it, it can be. You're right. It can be a bit offensive. I mean, everyone has an opinion. Um, and some people, uh, you know, are are too scared to share it for, and or maybe they don't want to share it for fear of causing offence, which they don't really want to do. Um, but everyone has an opinion, whether they keep it to themselves or not. Uh, I, I think it's, um, you know, what a boring world it would be. I'm yeah. always trying to get my kids to share their opinions because I, I don't know if it's just youth and therefore inexperienced and, and they're a bit nervous about it, or whether it's um, the younger generation seem to have sort of had a little bit of giving your own opinion beaten out of them. It, it would seem to me, watching my four growing up, I was so much more opinionated at a younger age. But I bet. Out of mind. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've been tempered a little bit as time's gone on. Could you believe it? <laughs> I do like, like the way I do like the way you give things names, Steve. Because I mean, well, first of all, the way you don't give things names. I mean, the no name nursery. I mean, I think that's rather fun. I love it. But the the thing that you just said a little while ago, the land. We will go to the land because when we extended our garden into the farmer's field here, we called it the new land because it was it's exactly what yeah. it was. Um, and, and now it has um, it has names like well, very grand names like the East Park and all that nonsense. But I mean, you know, it was just the new land, and you're talking about the land. I I, I sympathise and empathise with that. Do you know, I um, we we wrestled for ages over what to perhaps call the land, give it some poncy name, perhaps. <laughs> um, it will come. 
Uh, oh, I'm sure. And, and I think the thing is, is, as a gardener, particularly once you've got, we've got a few part-timers now and some volunteers helping us out. And so sometimes you start to give names to areas because you're trying to identify where they're, they're meant yeah. to be going exactly. to work. Yeah. Um, and so we've got, we're starting to have names for certain areas within the garden or within the land. But the land is, uh, for me, it's just a way of reminding us that we're only temporary custodians. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and it's had many guises before we've owned it. And, and it'll have lots more after we're gone. But just as long as none of my children build on it, I've told them, <laughs> if you build on the land houses, if you knock all my plants down, cut down all my trees and coming back to haunt you. I said, <laughs> your inheritance is in the land. Look after it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, by the time they get hold of it, it'll be all of these wonderful established plants, a whole seed bank of exciting things. So... Uh, they uh, bank of weeds yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> some of which might be exciting things um and we definitely must do a tour of the land at some point but we're going to get stuck into your garden at sweetbriar in a little bit before that before the sun comes and blasts this currently shady end of the garden um you have a few select plants that you've picked out in pots to show and tell first so we're essentially getting double helpings of show and tell from steve on this episode you can see why i'm excited for it so what would you like to hit us with first for show and tell oh um oh this is exciting okay let's go let's start with something that um i picked up as um oh look it's variegated on variegated oh that that's almost hideous um this <laughs> Chlorophytum, uh, Sandersonia, this is starlight. I picked this up when it was shortlisted for plant of the year. Uh, and you can see how it's got that spider plant look about it. Um, now, when I first got this, uh, they were touting it as a hardy chlorophytum. Uh, I, you know, what is hardy? I, I think is, you know, particularly with the winter we've just had where so many plants that lots of us considered hardy, uh, just, just, bit the dust so i think hardy hardy is relative to where you are um it can probably cope with about minus seven uh we we've certainly we've certainly managed to kill it um but not after we divided it because you know like a lot of people when you get a new plant you want to test it out in a whole range of different situations it seems to prefer a bit of dappled light shade particularly from the sun in the middle of the day um but if you give it too much shade, it goes a bit spindly and uh, doesn't flower. And it really does have a very pretty flower. These huge seeds um, really make the, uh, the the stems arch over. And it's a proper little white starry flower with a yellow anther that really protrudes when you look carefully at it, which is really typical of, of spider plants. Um, but, you know, we made sure we divided the plant up. Uh, several times before experimenting in a range of different situations to see how well it got on. But I have to say, uh, in a pot, as part of a, a just a pot display on a patio, it's fab. I love it. It's not evergreen. Uh, it is deciduous, unless the, the winter is really mild or you have a really sheltered spot for it. I guess in a greenhouse, if it was heated to kind of plus three or four, it probably would be... Um, I think it looks like a brilliant plant. Regarding hardiness, you just said there um, about lots of people losing things over the, over the last winter. We, I think here we were very, very lucky. We had minus three on one night. No, minus four, I beg your pardon, on one night, which is really unprecedented for us. But that was there was no long duration, which is the problem we, you get when you have 
really hard for us. But Jeffrey Smith once years ago on Gardner's Question Time, BBC Gardner's Question Time, when asked if something was harder, he just replied, in the right place. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. It is. <laughs> there are very few plants that are genuinely bomb-proof, that you can put them anywhere and they would be tough enough to survive any conditions. There's, there is few, few and far between. I've been surprised with the, with the more traditional house plants, uh, spider plants, in the fact that we planted them out into our jungle beds at Salutation several years ago. And where it was so dry, even through the winter, because there was a lot of evergreen above them, um, that they came back and, and it wasn't until about June they reappeared once the soil was really warm. And so when I saw this one, I thought, well, if it's got a sniff of hardiness or just a little more toughness, um, it, it's got my vote because I, I like variegation. I know it's not for everyone, um, but, you know, I'm, I'm OK. And there is good and bad variegation, I should add. And so, again, it comes back to our our own opinion of things. Isn't yeah, it? Exactly. I, I think, exactly. Yeah, yeah. A, spotted, a spotted laurel is one person's cup of tea and another person's eight. Um, but, you know, I said for lots of other variegated plants and, and variegated leaves, I had the conversation with Christopher Lloyd many, many years ago, and he encouraged me to look. And he said, now take that leaf away. How many striations did it have down the middle? I said, don't know. He said, well, you didn't look at it, did you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so many people look and and very few see yeah they very rarely see I, I um i always think gardens because they're so personal they're like a living autobiography yes. you know because they are why on earth would you have anything in your garden that you don't like mm. and if if you don't like it it won't be in your garden for very long hopefully yeah <laughs> because that would be stupid why would you waste your effort and energy and time um, it, surrounding yourself with things that you don't find beautiful. It's one of the things I love about growing plants as well um, and having them in your own garden, particularly if you can grow them from seed and you have that extra sort of care and love because you've nurtured it right from a little speck into a plant. You really look at all the details, I think, more. You go to visit a garden and you try to look and see, but it's overwhelming. There are all these things. I mean, particularly go to somewhere like East Ruston, you can just easily get overwhelmed. But when you actually grow a plant and you're really looking at it and taking photos and zooming in, I, that's one of the things I really love about gardening. I think, I think the other thing that I would say about um, falling in love and liking a plant, it depends, A, it depends on how, how it's grown, how well it's grown and all the rest of it. Um, but the other thing I think it depends on how it's displayed. I mean, what are its neighbours? Who Does it does it shine? Is it is it a, a plant that fades gently into the background? Is it a backing singer or is is it, the, is it the star, you know? Um, all of that matters, and it depends how you see it and the way it's it's, it's used. So, I mean, there's just so much. It's so, you know, I always used to, I was an antique dealer years ago, and I had a philosophy. Never mind about how popular the antique is that you're probably bidding for. Just remember, there's something for everybody. If only you can lay your hands on that customer, they'll come and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> It's the same with plants because, you know, what you love, I don't, what Steve loves, I don't, um, so on and so forth. But it's it just such a wonderful melting pot. It makes it all so thrilling. Mm -hmm. And it makes for original combinations as well in plant and use of plants, I think. Yeah, you're quite right, Alan. I have to say, you know, um, some of the most exciting plants can be used in such a dull way or in mm -hmm. a way that just kills their beauty because of the associations with plants around them. Uh, and I know that's a bit subjective, but um, no, you're, you're, you're spot on. I think, 
you know, a plant grown really well and used really well can mm. be a thing of beauty, even if you're just admiring it in somebody else's garden. You don't wish to own it yourself. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, um, to to visit the topic of yellow flowers, um, which obviously comes up time and time again that people are not fans of them, uh, as Rosie Hardy will point out often and with great enthusiasm, add yellow to a border and it really helps plants to sing and brings out characteristics. So that kind of idea of of combining things. I mean, certainly something I found with having fun cutting flowers from the allotment is this um, Dahlia germander. Put that with Benary's giant white zinnias, which are kind of an off-white, brings out completely different tones in the flower to if you put it with something dark like the Sam Hopkins. It's just, you. it's almost like a slightly different flower because of its mates in the in the vase with it. I love it. I love it. I mean, you know, I'm a sucker for a dahlia anyway. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I haven't, um, I can't believe it. I don't, oh no, no, I'm lying. I have got a dahlia to show you in a minute, but that's, <laughs> I, thought, I thought, hang on a minute. No, I have even got, I've got a couple of species dahlias to show you in the garden and I've got um, uh, an, another big blousy dahlia. But I thought I'd, I'd, I thought I'd move on to it, talking, talking of things that are really gaudy, um can canners i mean i i'm such a sucker for a canner hang on here we go oh. this is um it's a sort of apricot with orange in it and and this is actually um it's a dark foliage canner it's one of my, my our seedlings so we've been growing lots of canners from seedlings from seed sorry so uh i've been trying to get my son into gardening a little bit and we started him off with things like lithopes which are um uh, as he calls living stones. The, the living stones, or as he calls them, the bum plants. Yes. Because <laughs> they look like a bottom. And I thought, well, anything to draw you in, uh, I'm, you know, let's go with that. Um, and so you can, you can, you can see that uh, our level of intelligence, it's the bottom plant. Um, <laughs> but I had him uh, under duress, uh, helping me scarify canna seeds and this, this plant, you can see, is about a metre tall. It's in flower. It's got multiple shoots. That was seed that we scarified in February. Oh. So we, we literally just got um, a, a, a file. And because it hurts your fingers after a couple, a little set of uh, tin snips. And, and we were just, you know, rubbing away at the file until you could just see the little bit of white in the embryo of the seed. Because the Indian shot plant is a sort of one of their common names. And um, that physical coating on the seed is incredibly strong. So it takes a long time um, to soften if you just plant them into compost. So we put them in a bag uh, with damp compost and a bit of vermiculite or perlite. And then we pop them on a little tray on top of a radiator in February to get them to kickstart into growth. And then you get a really long growing season. So you can get them in flower first year from seed. Uh, this, this, the parent of this one was Wilhelm's Pride. Uh, which is a beautiful dark um, you know, um, canna. And the dark foliage has, has passed on into this one as well. But um, I would say about 40% of the seedlings came up with green leaves. And some of them came up green leaves with flushings of purple through them. Some of them had um, yellow flowers. Some were yellow with flecking. Some are two metres tall. Some are only about a metre tall. Because we, we had, we've got about 30 different um, cultivars and a few different species of canna all quite close together in our prop area and so who knows what the we know what the mummy plant we took the seed from Wilhelm Pride but who knows 
how promiscuous it's been and, and you know, <laughs> what, it, what it's got into. <laughs> I tell you what, Steve, that sounds like a whole lot of fun for everybody. <laughs> yeah. that, you know, I, sometimes when I say to people at talks, uh, when I'm talking about young seedlings, I said, you know, um, really from a plant's point of view, uh, gardening is all about, or from a plant's perspective, it's all about sex and death. <laughs> and you know, oh, it's a bit of a taboo subject. Don't mention that. Oh, you get some looks from people, and I'm like, and you could almost argue that maybe that is what all of life is about in, in a way. Uh, um, but um, so I love growing stuff from seed and cannas. You know, first year from seed and flowering. That's so brilliant. well done, well done. Yeah, thanks. I, I'm really excited by by. We've got so many seedlings, and I would say out of 200 seedlings, we've kept back about um about eight to move forwards to see how they develop in the next few years the rest um we've just sold as no-name seedlings uh so they you know they are unnamed but that then gives them an association back to the no-name nursery exactly That's lovely well yeah. i'd like to say that was planned but i didn't realize that would work so well until we actually had <laughs> seedlings that didn't have names <laughs> You can try this on so many different things. Yeah, well, with, with dahlias, um, I was talking with a real dahlia expert, Andy Vernon, and uh, he wrote a great book on dahlias. Uh, and he, so his book for me was was quite revolutionary because he grouped dahlias not by their flower types, but by their colour. And I got to meet Andy and he came down and gave a lecture at Salutation. And he said when he was in Mexico, one of the things that struck him was that because it's their, it's a wild flower for them, they would uh, sow dahlias and they would bring them into flower and you'd visit a garden centre or a nursery and you just bought, bought the one you liked. They, they couldn't believe we named them. Why would you name them? You just pick the one you like and that's the one, that's yours. There you go. You know, so actually it's the same with the cannas. I just say to people, well, it doesn't have a name, but if you like it, buy it and grow it and love it. <laughs> I love taking the inspiration. I mean, I suppose it makes perfect sense. Grow things you like. It doesn't matter what they're called. <laughs> the trouble is, as a gardener, we we love to know what things are. You know, we love to know, oh, that that's this species and it's this named cultivar. And, you know, there's a little bit of an obsession with us gardeners that we we like to know what things are. And so if you, if you take that away from us in, in a way that's almost a bit rebellious, which, of course, I like, but, but also... <laughs> It can end in a bit of a muddle if you're not careful, particularly if somebody decides to that that it should have been a named variety, and so they give it a name because they find something it looks a bit like, and then and then things get muddled up in cultivation. So I, I can understand. I imagine if members of the herbaceous committee that I sit on at the RHS are listening to this, they're like, "No, we named cultivars, you know, because then you know exactly what it is. If you just um, release seedlings, you know." Or there'll be all hell to pay. <laughs> there is also a FLOMO element here. FLOMO being that fear of missing out, you get about a flower or a plant, because uh, there are people I've commented saying, oh, in that bunch of flowers, what is that beautiful thing? And it'll be like, oh, well, it's probably a cross between this one and this one, which I have in my cutting garden. And they've, they've turned up with a seedling. And you're like, damn it, I wanted to buy a packet of seed of it. And I can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, def yeah, exactly. And so the... There is that element, which is why we've held on to what we feel are the best. Um, and that may not be the ones that are the best because other people have a different opinion. But some of them may get named as new varieties. We've already decided that really good dahlias. Uh, we've got a number of good seedlings coming on and we'll wait a few years for those to develop. Um, 
when we release them, we're going to name them after cocktails because dahlias are so jazzy, aren't they? I love them. And, you, you know, they, they feel like they should have names like, you know, sex on the beach or, you know, whatever it happens to be. It's got to, they've got to have the name cocktails. They, for me, they're very generous and it feels like party time when you're in a border full of dahlias. I just get very excited, you know, in, in the autumn with all those flowers. In fact, not even the autumn. A lot of my dahlias are in flower here in East Kent by July. Yeah. So they just keep going. Um, and, I, and I'm sure Alan's the same because we, you know, we kind of share this East Coast together. Exactly. Yes, other. we do. You're absolutely <laughs> right. Yeah. You lucky ducks. <laughs> <laughs> we, we are because we got away with murder as well during the winter. We, we didn't lose nearly as much as many did. Uh, and so I, I almost started to feel a bit guilty that, um, that other people had lost so much and, and, and we hadn't. Oh. So moving on to another. Now, this is a, a new one for me. So I wanted to share it with you all. Um, one of the, you know, so so the Asta uh, Monk, 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 Monk. Fricartia, yeah. Um, this is von der von Staffen. Yeah. Uh, which Helen uh, Picton says is better. She said it's shorter and it branches more. But the flower is is almost identical. So you really can't tell the difference. But she said as a garden plant, um, that one von von der von Staffen is superior. Uh, and so I of course bought one on her recommendation, as I did a number of different asters. And um and I just think it's gorgeous because it's that classic, you know, it's got quite a fine um ray florette and a little yellow disc in the middle. But the ray florets are really long and they're quite slender. So that, you know, they're, they're a big flower. Uh, I actually, on purpose, just because I'm a bit perverse like that, I've I've never grown uh, monch because it's so ambiguous. Uh, no, that's the right word. Is that the right word? Ubiquitous. 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 Thank you very much, says the boy from Margate, trying to be posh. a bit, you're a bit too posh. It's common, a bit like myself. And... <laughs> So uh, so I didn't want to grow it because I thought, well, there's loads of people out there growing it that I want to grow other things. Uh, Vonda von Staffen. I just think it's amazing. And it really does branch. Look at that. Yeah. yeah. Actually, this, I, th I think Helen has a point with this because I know this um, Vonda von Straffen, Staffen, and it is a very good one. But lots of the other Fricartii are not so good. Um, I mean, Munch is, is, is one that I've lost. I've grown and lost it two or three times. And I don't think it's my fault. I think it's not a strong growing plant. Other people might prove me wrong, of course. But there's one other variety that I particularly love, and it's called Fawcett Flourish. And it was bred by, I can't remember the name of the two chaps that had the nursery. And it was in Cheney Lane, Fawcett St. Mary in Norfolk. And Fawcett St. Mary is the village that I was born in. Well, I was born in St. Peter, but I mean, you know, the, there was St. Peter, St. St. Mary and Fawcett End. They were all of a lot and the family all lived there. But Fawcett Flourish is one that I grow purely for sentimental reasons. And it is a good one. But <clears throat> I think the nice thing about Fricartia asters is they have an airiness about them. They have this kind of openness that is much more naturalistic and much more in tune, perhaps, with today's mode of gardening, if you like. Yeah, I like that mode of gardening. It's that, yeah, that's a, a nice way to describe it. Yeah, no, I think it would work beautifully in a in um at the edge of say a meadow where you want to make 
a sort of concerted effort between um, the sort of contrived where we look after it and, and the more wild space beyond. Yeah, this would exactly. mix into that space beautifully. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Fantastic. So that's that's an exciting plant for me. Now, something um, I've grown for a long time. Uh, this is a kefir, oh. um, but it, I got it. It's a cigar plant. Uh, this one's called David Verity. Oh. Uh, and it's huge. See, I have to say, I, I've grown quite a few of the kefirs over the years. And um, my... I guess my disappointment with them is that they're often very small and so easily overlooked. Um, whereas David Verity, it gets to about a metre tall. I mean, this is a this is a cutting, this plant, in a, in a pot. And it's already about 60 centimetres tall. A really deep um, green leaf that's really, you know, uh, really leathery. And it's quite luriferous a... too. I mean, it's, there's a good amount of flower on that. Wow, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it really does stop you in your tracks in a garden. And if you've got a jungle garden, because they quite like, you know, sun to light shade, not too much shade. Otherwise, they'll sulk and stop flowering. Uh, it doesn't really kill them, but they just won't flower. But the flower is large and the plant in all its parts is large. Now, I think this is available now in the UK, but certainly when I laid my hands on it, the uh, the nursery lady and I won't say who it is because she said you didn't get this from me, okay? So, <laughs> I don't know where it came from, but I know it's available in the US. But until recently, I don't think it's been available in the in the UK. And uh, in a couple of weeks' time, I'm heading down to a project we're working on. We're looking after a garden down in, uh, or sorry, we're designing and helping uh, the owners of a garden down in Dorset. And um, we're going to go and see Mike, uh, who I know has been on a, a few times, Mike Clifford. And I'm taking one of these for him because he, oh. he's grown a few, but he doesn't have this one. He's going to love it. Well, it's impressive to have a plant Mike Clifford doesn't have. Uh, I love I love Cuvées and I the, the tubular flowers on that, you're right, really sizable. And they look what an orangey red then going to like a yellow yellowish tip. That's it. And you can see why it gets its name, the cigar plant, you know, because it literally looks like someone's lit the end of a cigar. Uh, mind you, an orange cigar, you might worry about <laughs> popping that in your mouth. Uh, but, but yeah, it does certainly um, lives up to its name in, it, in its flower. Uh, that would, uh, yeah, so it's an, an amazing uh, perennial with huge flowers. Uh, all, yeah, orange all the way down until, and then it gets its little anther that just pokes out. Because isn't it, it's... Um, it's pollinated by hummingbirds. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, yeah. In, in the US. But obviously here, um, I'm often surprised about our exotics, about how useful they are to lots of our, our native insects. But I don't think this one, you know, maybe if you've got a moth or something, it could get in there. But it, the entrance to get in at the flower is so small, I doubt very much it's going to be that useful. Um Lots of, those, lots of those i mean there are bees for instance are quite crafty creatures because there's there's i don't know which one it is but i was watching it the other day a bee pollinating and or getting the pollen from our fuchsias by going into the top of the uh, not the flower itself or the tube or the cor cor corolla but going in boring into the tube at the top of the flower and getting it that oh. way and the other thing i noticed that when we had flowers out in the desert that um this year, the desert wash, which were pollinated by hummingbirds. Some of them were pollinated by wasps, some of them by bumblebees. 
and a lot of them by honeybees and also hoverflies. And they were the four main insects that were on these type of flowers. So, you know, I don't think it really matters what you grow because plants are adaptable to various gardens. Insects are adaptable to various plants. And I mean, they're all opportunists and they'll use it for the best of their ability. Yeah, that is a, it's a good it's a good comment because it's something obviously having a jungle garden that that said to me again and again. So it's something that's I'm very conscious of uh, as a, I mean, our jungle garden here that we're going to go and look around in a moment um, has won a gold award for gardening for wildlife from Kent Wildlife Trust. So um, it's possible and, yeah. and more than possible. It's it's very doable. But we are yeah. conscious to try and make sure we've got something for for insects as well as for for humans in in the garden, uh, but you're right, they are real opportunities. I couldn't believe when I was listening to Radio Four. Well, first of all, I can't believe I was listening to Radio Four, but I just because I've obviously reached that age, and uh, <laughs> and there and was things a, happen, Steve. Things happen. <laughs> uh, I, I I still I still kick myself. I can't believe it. it makes it makes me laugh every time. Um, the boy from Margate listening to Radio 4. And uh, and there was a lady talking about bees, um, wasp species. And she said there were 70,000 different species of wasp in the UK. And and even the presenter said, sorry, did you say seven or 70? She said, no, 70. I just can't. That's incredible, isn't it? So I think you're probably right. There is an insect out there for every flower, whether it's native or non-native. Yeah, yeah. But, Yes. They'll find a way of getting in there. Absolutely. <laughs> now, I, I tell you what, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I'll do this one and then we'll head off around the garden. Now, uh, this is, I got this from uh, Miles Japanese Maples. He's a really lovely guy and a proper botanist. Uh, and he runs um, a small nursery like us uh, that specializes in, in maples and um, this is Asa Nagundo subspecies Mexicanum. Uh, now, he gave this as a gift from him because we, we're both part, members of the Plant Fairs Roadshow. Um, and I, what, made, what made me laugh is people that know me well uh, know of my general aversion to Japanese maples. I can't stand them, really. And, um, and, and I think it's because it's not that I don't like them. I find them incredibly difficult to use in UK gardens without them just looking a bit twee or a bit naff. Uh, I saw them at Western Burr and they looked incredible. So I think as they get larger, I like them. But little ones in pots that get caught by the wind and get frazzled in the East Kent, you know, sunshine with our light levels. So I think part of it is because they don't like me. And so therefore I don't really like them. <laughs> um, and then I go and make friends with a guy who's an, an Acer grower and he's got lots of Japanese maples and he is just one of the nicest guys and so knowledgeable, you know, within his field. And we think that this might be a very good uh, plant for stooling so that we can get gigantic leaves from it. I mean, look at the, the, the petioles or yeah. the lovely and orange, orangey red and very long. And the leaf, you know, Acer Nagundo often has that that hanging leaf that's serrated and toothed. Uh, well, and you, I often, you often see Asa Naganda variegator used as a stool plant, don't you? I mean, it, you know, in a, in a tropical kind of garden, if you like, they're just stool to the ground every year, and then those huge shoots come out with the big leaves, white and green. Yeah, I, you know, down on this East Kent coast, because we're so hot and so dry, 
uh, we tried that. And we managed to kill it from the stooling yeah. because it was too much. So we um, we we sort of got it. It's the same with dogwoods. Actually, we don't stool them every year. We do it every two or three years because they just the vigor. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So similar similar conditions. Yes. You learn the hard way sometimes, don't well, you? you? do, you do, Steve. But you see, you. I mean, we'd, uh, I would say that plants adapt to their growing conditions, but the gardener has to adapt to the growing conditions and the way the plant grows in those conditions as well. Yeah, no, quite right. And so we were, we were ambitious to, um, uh, you know, to have lots of uh, coppiceable and stool, you know, trees and shrubs that are hardy but give that exotic look because yeah. we didn't want to have to keep lifting and shifting everything. Uh, and so, but we ended up killing it um, by by stooling it too often. But it, well, I'm hopeful for this because the leaves um, are enormous. So I think with stooling, we'll have an incredible jungle foliage that will take people by surprise because they're often, like you say, Alan, they're used to seeing the variegated form. Yeah. Uh, and this Mexicanum uh, subspecies might just um, might just have legs, as they say. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what plant that is particularly good for stooling to give that lovely exotic and a kind of ferny look as well and that's Sambucus black lace because we do that in one of the borders here we have four um, in each border and we cut them down to ground level every year and I then pinch the tips out and you get this great foam of lovely lacy very dark brown foliage and it works every uh, we've been doing it for about now about six to seven years and they're still absolutely fine. They haven't died yet, is what I'm really saying. <laughs> you know, that was one of the things when when we were at East Ruston last year. There was uh, it was the most exciting garden I've been in for years. There was idea after idea after idea. So I'm not surprised you're full of ideas, Alan, and and for stooling and what works. Well, and what doesn't. can can I reciprocate reciprocate the compliment? Because you know, well, you know, you 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 learn, don't you? You and Lou very kindly gifted me a plant of Sparmania africana variegata. It is fabulous. Um, I took some cuttings, only two of which took, I have to say. That's my fault for neglecting them, probably. But your original plant that you gave me is now in a huge great tub, and it's standing on my plant peninsula where, you know, I, I put things I want to show off, really. And I have this peninsula of potted plants. And every day it gets commented on. It's absolutely stunning, and it's flowering at the moment as well. Thank you. Fantastic. Oh, you're, well, you're welcome. Uh, well, thank you, you know, for making such an amazing gardener. Me and Lou were blown away with it. There were there were more ideas than some people come up with in a garden in, a, in their whole lives. And I know you've dedicated your life to that garden, but there, 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 it was amazing. We, we loved every minute of being there. And, and unfortunately, we had to go and sell plants, which is a bit of annoyance because I wanted to spend more time looking around. <laughs> <laughs> Well, even if you had a whole day, I finally the other week got to spend a whole kind of day walking around the garden and uh, it still isn't enough. So you basically can never have enough time. You need to kind of go every week for like a whole day and then maybe you might start to get on top of it. Hey, Fordis here. Just to say thank you so much for listening to Talking Dirty. You are now officially our favourite person. If you really liked it, please do subscribe because we'll be back for more plant-loving mayhem next week. And as you're our new favourite person, we don't want you to miss out. If you've got a question for Alan and the experts, you can email it to hello at getgardeningnow.co.uk. So happy gardening and we'll see you, oh favourite person, next time.